Uh, yes, indeed. Welcome to the Age Stage. Hi, everyone. A program that uh, we've designed here at RPPFM to look at issues and matters affecting older Australians, made possible, of course, by our friends at Aftercare Australasia and Australian Unity. Thank you very much indeed to Bob and Judy for another action-packed sugar and spice and, of course, their great work acknowledging this stroke week. Good morning, everyone. Brendan Telfer here with you today. A beautiful day down here on the Mornington Peninsula. A few showers predicted for later in the day. But uh, this week on the program, Australian Unity throwing open its doors at its Grange Retirement and Aged Care Facilities and Racecourse Road here in Mornington. We'll take a closer look at that. We'll talk to Frank Spencer, who started his writing career in his late 80s. He now has two titles under his belt. His most recent is The Silk Road Wars, which has just been published. And we'll also speak to producer Cheryl Brody, who reminds us this week that it is Asthma Week. And she has some very important insights as well. Yes, so good to be with you this Thursday morning. Well, this is the age stage on RPPFM, and one of the big operators in retirement living and aged care opens its doors here in Monington this weekend. Australian Unity's Grange facility in Racecourse Road is open to you as of this Saturday. A chance to view, sample and talk about a number of retirement operations and options. Suzanne Russell is the National Admissions Manager. Look, we've got um, a really exciting event coming up, which is our open day for the uh, Racecourse Grange and Peninsula Grange precinct. So Racecourse Grange is our new aged care facility in the area. So we have 102 beautiful uh, new um, beds available in that space. And we're hoping to also show people our existing aged care facility called Peninsula Grange also 102 beds, and also the retirement village, which is quite a bit larger and some lovely new apartments that have just recently been built there. Well, having been a visitor to these particular facilities, very, very impressive, and the standard and the production values that you put into these particular complexes is really, I think, probably setting the benchmark in the area. Yeah, we have a really great group of architects uh, who are involved in that space and the design particularly, uh, the one that I've been working with is in Racecourse Grange and the design of that building is really um, stunning. So if you go in, it's got a lovely foyer. It's very unaged care or unnursing home. It's very, um, very attractive but very welcoming and warm at the same time. So you're part of National Admissions are you sitting down with the group and pre-planning all this years in advance about what you want, the style you want, the brief that you're going to give your architects, given the brief that Australian Unity is probably giving you? How do you balance all these different inputs? Look, I haven't been involved uh, at that level because I've been with the company a couple of years and been in the admissions space here um, across the, the national market probably just for the last year. Uh, but there's certainly, these things are planned years out. We are now um, developing, in particularly the aged care, we seem to have a bit of a format that works for us. Uh, a lot of our buildings are now repeating the same type of format, which was in a households. So each aged care facility, we are planning households of around 17 residents. And what that means is there's 17 rooms attached to a group of um, communal spaces like a kitchen. So the kitchen therefore is at the centre of every household. So we have a lovely kitchen, a lounge room, a fireplace, a dining room with access to outside space. So we're never in a big overwhelming mess hall. You're never with um, masses of people. So it's a very warm, comforting environment for people to live in. 
I'm just wondering as well about uh, the baby boomers as they get older and trying to interpret uh, what their needs might be in this space as well. Some thought would have to go into that, surely. Look, it does. And I mean, the baby boomers are wanting um, much higher standards of furnishings. People are wanting to come in um, and be looked after and have things being really nice like they might have in their own home. Obviously, we need to... Uh, future plan a little bit as far as Wi-Fi services, Netflix on TVs, Foxtel, all those sorts of technologies as well. Um, so we need to make sure that that's available for, for the residents. But it's really around uh, everybody wants a decent sized room, a really attractive ensuite, being able to manage... Um, in, in some cases, people want to go into the kitchens and still be able to help themselves to, to maybe cook something or tea and coffee. So it's very much more person-centred care. People have choices um, and it's very much around enablement rather than doing things to or, or to people rather than helping them to be as um, independent as is suitable for them. And within the precincts as well, you're providing backup services as well. So if I do have a, a medical or a health issue, it's not too far away. Look, that's correct. So in the retirement villages, you're very that is independent living, but very much has access to um, home services and other supports there. So you can be independent in the retirement living, but still access the, the supports you need. And that might be things like cleaning, it might be like uh, food, um, someone from nursing to come in and help with medication. So the sort of things that you might access at home, you can also access in retirement living. In aged care, it's 24-hour nursing and everything available on site. There's been a lot in the area, of course. We've heard about a Royal Commission and so on, which has been uh, going on for some time now. I guess it must be of some solace uh, to your people that uh, are taking up your options with Australian Unity, that they have that integrity of your organisation to calm them, perhaps, and assuage some of the nervousness that they might have about the Royal Commission and what it's finding. Look, we've been very involved with the Royal Commission right from the start, and we've been uh, very involved in giving information and providing case studies and all that sort of thing to them. That's something that our facility managers um, got very involved with early on. We actually welcome the Royal Commission. We're very into making sure that our standards are high and that people are looked after in the best way possible. And if there's areas that need improving, let's fix them. Yes, it seems to be uh, probably giving everybody a lot of peace of mind, I would suggest. There probably seem to be some other operators in the area that are probably having the blowtorch applied, and I'm sure that in the space that you're at, you're probably being able to reassure those that are taking up Australian Unity options. Now, talking about taking up Australian un Unity options, um, you're in national admissions. How are you convincing me, this sort of fun-loving, gregarious, baby boomer stroke <laughs> hippie, um, that I need to come in and live in this style of living where I've probably been very independent and uh, wanting to sort of ride the Harley at the weekends and stuff like that. What, what, what conversation would you be having with me? Look, aged care, if we're talking about aged care as opposed to retirement living, aged care really is suitable for people who do have some needs and do have a need of assistance with some things. So we're not going to be encouraging you to come into aged care if you are fully independent. In, but what you do have in aged care is you have the right to choose. So there is a new aged care charter of rights and it's very much, again, person-centred. So you can now have more choice in deciding how you would like to be cared for and how you would like to live your life. 
So even if you choose to go out in your Harley, and we might not think that's the best thing and the safest thing for you to do, you still have the right to choose those things and we might put in writing that we recommend that you don't do that and you might say, I understand that, but I still want to do it anyway. And disturb the neighbours as I started up every morning and fly it. <laughs> so it's going to come down then to staff and personnel probably is going to make a huge contribution to the way I'm thinking about what you are offering me. What sort of standards do you insist on and what sort of staffing levels does Australian Unity want? Look, we have a really uh, high staffing um, care model. We call it Better Together Plus, which is part of what we are trying to uh, set ourselves apart from a lot of the other operators. So Better Together is a way we can be better together. So we can support someone who comes in if they're lower care right the way through until a high care or even palliative so that someone can come in and do things that are appropriate for them. As I said, you know, in our kitchen, if they want to use that, if they can do that themselves, that's great. If they want some help, we'll help them. If they need to be served, we'll serve them. Now, our, our staff ratio, we try to have it about one to six. So that means for every six resident, they'll have one carer. And the beauty of our model is that they are a dedicated carer. So someone will be on a set roster with a set six residents. That is the plan. Um, and that means that that particular carer will get to know their six residents really well. We'll know if they are suddenly quiet, where they're normally gregarious. We will know if, if things are changing for them. So it helps us to pick up any changes quite quickly, which means we can get on to getting them the attention and care that they need. We're speaking to Suzanne Russell, who is National Admissions uh, Manager down here for Australian Unity. You've got a couple of big days coming up, the first of them on uh, September 7th. It's an open day at the Racecourse Grange Aged Care and Retirement Living Apartment Complex. Suzanne, a bit of pressure on you organising it. Are you putting up the red carpet, of course? You're welcoming people from, what, the Greater Mornington Peninsula area? Or is this a national initiative? Uh, how, are you, how are you selling it? Look, this is, this is much more local um, because we're wanting people to come locally and see what is on offer and hopefully they'll see what a fantastic space it is and recommend it to the people that in, in their lives that they might think it's appropriate for. We know that it's a beautiful space so what we need, need is for people to come in and see it and we know that they'll be bowled over by how it looks. But the other thing we've already got in that space is Peninsula Grange which is our existing aged care um, uh, site. Now that runs at 100% occupancy all the time, so it's in high demand. Now that means that our reputation in the area is fantastic um, and we are a highly sought after space. Now the manager, the general manager in that space is across both sites, so she will be making sure that the same very high standard of care continues right the way through. And I'm certainly um, not just responsible for this as a whole. We have a whole uh, team in sales and marketing who are working through this as well as our operations. So tell me about the Australian Unity model. It's, it's a national model and here, of course, we specifically see it down here on the Mornington Peninsula. Why the Mornington Peninsula? Look, we branched into the Mornington Peninsula with our Peninsula Grange uh, aged care facility and, of course, we have the retirement living there as well. It seemed to be an area that was um, lacking when we went into that space. We, it has been so highly successful and we already had the land there where we decided to build and build the second facility because it's been so highly sought after. There are of course other now providers who have, have come into the market but we are hoping that people will see that we are offering 
such a high standard uh, of not just um, uh, aesthetics and building an environment, but care that they will choose to come to us. It certainly looks a very impressive uh, compound and I'm sure it's pretty jaw-dropping for many of us that drive past and uh, do check it out and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of interest uh, down around Mornington and the Greater Mornington Peninsula to come by and say hello. Um, so what is the process? The doors will just be flung open and we all just sort of fly in on September the 7th? What's going on? <laughs> Look, it will, be, it will be fairly carefully managed. We'll help people with parking. So it's between 10 and 2. Um, on that Saturday the 7th, so where people can come down any time in that period. We will have food and drinks available, we'll have people to help with um, directing parking so that people can see uh, where best to go. There will be um, people taking tours in each of those areas, so yes the doors will be flung open but it, we, we do have existing residents there so we need to be very careful not to be impacting on them. So we're looking forward to that very much. Now, just before we let you go, I want to just talk about the sort of the, the financial packages. So I'm thinking about, say, retirement, and I need to start thinking about some of the options that you have for me. You have financial planners down there on that day that I can have a bit of a natter to. You can run some numbers for me, and you can give me a sense of what uh, you might require in terms of my investment. Yes, we absolutely do have. So we certainly will have financial advisors down there and I guess if you need to have a more in-depth conversation then they'll be making an appointment with you. But we have um, a lot of knowledge available down there. So we will be having people from um, that can chat about home care, we'll have people who can chat about other in-home supports, we'll have people who can chat about the retirement village, the new apartments, what sort of cost is involved. And the same goes with aged care. We, we can chat with you about what cost is involved about with aged care and also what sort of paperwork and procedures need to be in place so that people can plan effectively and not um, be caught out just in a, a situation where it's suddenly an emergency. Yeah, we certainly don't want that. So you'd be encouraging whole families to come down, maybe have a conversation with mum and dad and grandpa and grandma? Absolutely. So, you know, don't be afraid to bring children down. There's, there's uh, play equipment there as well um, and there'll be food available. But look, it's a really, it's, it's a lovely environment. So it's not a confronting environment. So it's quite suitable for all members of the family to come down. And it, it is... Um, it's a really good thing for whole families to discuss so that we're all involved in choosing our future and what is best for us should we have that need. Suzanne Russell, the National Admissions Manager at Australian Unity. This is the age stage and when we come back we'll continue our talk about Australian Unity and its wonderful facility at uh, the Grange facility in Racecourse Road in Mornington. In fact, we'll take a walk over there uh, when we did uh, visit the facility earlier on this year with Craig Green and we also got to meet some of the local residents as well. All that after the break. Hi, this is Sigrid Thornton speaking. I love listening to the radio and when I'm on the peninsula, I love listening to RPPFM. RPPFM and something a little bit different today. You might be able to hear in the background the beautiful noise of this wonderful water feature. We're coming to you from the Peninsula Grange facility down here on Racecourse Road in Mornington. It's a glorious day. The countdown is on because there's going to be a big open day here this weekend. Craig Green is Client Services Manager, good friend of RPPFM in the age stage. And Craig, what a beautiful visage here as we look out over this wonderful expanse and this beautiful lawn area and water feature. 
Good morning. Uh, it is, and this is why we choose to live on the peninsula. We, we get to experience all the joys of the weather, all, all four seasons in one day, uh, and today being an exceptional day with the blue skies, and now the storms have cleared. Uh, and, and we get to soak up the, the aesthetics here, living within the village. Uh, Peninsula Grange Rutama Village has been here seven years now. We've just completed the 14th stage, which is our final stage of development with our new apartments, which we are opening this Saturday. Uh, but as you get to see here, we have around four acres of grounds and gardens, including a lake where you can hear the fountain dripping away in the background, quite peaceful. Um, there's quite a good healthy uh, breed of fish in, in, the, in the lake as well. Uh, and we look across the grounds, across to the bowling green, we can see the various park areas and we have a very good mix of mature trees throughout the property as well as new uh, coastal plantings as well that we've put in. In fact recently we just did some ref refurbishment of some of our gardens to, to enhance them as well. Well it has just a beautiful and a very elegant setting doesn't it? I mean the greenery as you mentioned Craig and the trees as also you mentioned. It's just a very comfortable beautiful setting here set off in the lovely architecture as well. Your units just sort of spaced lovely beautifully around this wonderful green expanse here, this sort of central area as we look around uh, across the top of the veranda here into the water feature. And, and of the 225 villas you, you see around us, they, they come in several different floor plans. So there is a, a point of difference to, to most of the villas. Uh, obviously, you can see from the aesthetics that we, we stick with some neutral colour schemes, but there are variations to each, so it doesn't look like a cookie-cutter setup. Um, and then to individualise it, whilst we do provide landscaping with, with the villas, many residents do add their own personal touch, which is quite nice to see the different styles that enhance the, the aesthetics of their own, own front garden, literally. Well, this weekend, of course, it's uh, open slather here. You're going to be inviting the community to come down and see what it is. Uh, we're just off from the community centre here, so I guess this is going to be a hive of activity um, on the weekend. What are the visitors going to expect when they come by, Craig? What are you going to turn on for them? Look, our resident community are quite excited of opening to, to the general public. What we're showcasing this weekend is our new apartment building. It's the last stage of the development, so we have 22 brand new apartments, uh, two and three bedroom configurations, secure parking, lift access and communal common areas. That's all enhanced by adding on to the community centre we see before us, which incorporates our indoor heated pool, gymnasium, our doctor's consultation room, on-site hairdressers, plus we have the community centre with the kiosk and the, and the bar, dining and function rooms. This weekend our residents are quite excited they'll be showcasing the lifestyle and what you get to enjoy when you come to live at a, uh, the community of Peninsula Grange Retirement Village. Well the endorsement of the local clientele I guess is probably very very important that they are enthusiastic to put out the welcome mat I think probably speaks volumes about what you've been able to create here over the last few years. It is and, and the residents are the best way of selling a property like this because they're the ones that have bought in and are enjoying the lifestyle. Um, you know, this weekend in particular the kiosk will be open, there'll be fresh sandwiches, a variety of cakes and, and wares available. We have uh, tea and coffee stations available. Uh, Remedy Healthcare will be on site uh, promoting their concierge service for our residents. And talking about the new uh, Remedy Managed Health and Wellbeing Centre opening at Racecourse Grange at the, uh, later this year. Uh, and in particular, we'll be here to showcase the apartments that are on offer. We have three different apartments to display this weekend. One will be our display suite, which is fully set up. And then we have two alternative floor plans which will be open uh, as well to have a, a, a look through and, and get a feel for the apartment style living we have in addition to the independent living units that are on offer here as well. Talking to Craig Green who's Client Services Manager over here at Australian Unities, potentially Grange, uh, almost on the eve of the open day at the weekend. You are 
invited down to enjoy this amazing facility. Well, Craig, you've touched on a couple of things. Food is one of them. Aesthetics is another. And I guess maybe we could go and have a look at this new development. Could we have a bit of a sneak peek, do you think? I think we can do that. Let's mosey on through the community centre. We'll walk across and you can you can enhance it as we walk through the, the foyers. Wonderful. As you can probably hear in the background as we walk through the community centre here with Craig, you can probably just hear the breeze just gently lifting the flags, the Australian Unity flag, the Torres Strait Islander flag, the Aboriginal flag proudly on the flag posts out the uh, front of the car park. And as the, we now move through the community centre, we'll uh, we walk through to this new new area which is just about to be opened, the new addition to this wonderful facility here at the Peninsula Grange. We'll take a bit of a walk and uh, join you again when we get to the new section. Ian, uh, I'm talking to you here at Australian Unity um, and of course the Peninsula Grange which this weekend has its open day. You guys are manning the uh, cafeteria here at the moment. Looks like you have everything under control. I must say the pavlova is looking pretty nice or the uh, the lemon passion sponge looks beautiful. It seems that uh, you guys really endorse the lifestyle over here. Everybody seems to be very happy. Oh, yes, we are. I think generally, I mean, we all have complaints. You lose. There are certain things you have to accept when you live in a village. There are certain things you haven't got control over. But provided you've got a little bit of confidence in the management, and I think we've got reasonable confidence in the management here, um, that, that um, it works well. This is the this is the second village I've been in. I lived in one before I came here, uh, and um, we had similar pleasant experiences there. A little bit of strife when we first moved in because of building problems. Um, we were lucky here that the building place was fairly well established before we came, but I think generally I'm, 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 we're quite happy with the, the management. What about uh, you, John? Are you, you pretty happy over here? Yes, we're extremely happy here. I, I think we've been supplied with all our wants, really. There's, there's so many groups that operate here. I, I think it would be hard to live here and not be happy. This is our sixth place on the peninsula since '95, um, and we've lived in some beautiful homes at Cape Shank and various things, but I am absolutely, totally, totally happy here, apart from minor issues. You get that in every retirement village, um, but I can't see us ever moving out, except in a box. There's a lot of discussion, isn't there, about uh, whether we should be staying on in our own homes? Well, you've got, you've got a lot of support systems here. Um, you've, you can get them in your own home, Julie. Yes, but I'm. I think. You're plugging the village. I am plugging the village, Julie, because I think it's a great place. And as I said, we've lived in lots, and I've lived in another retirement village on the peninsula, and this is hands down much better. Yes, some happy locals at the Australian Unity Grange facility. Jo locals are John, Ian and Lisa at the Peninsula Grange Racecourse Road facility who we visited earlier on this year. And you can get across yourself and visit the Grange Retirement and HK facilities in Racecourse Road this uh, Saturday in Mornington. Gates are open from 10am. You're tuned up to RPPFM. This is The Age Stage. When we come back, Frank Spencer, who has taken up writing and now has two books published, 
at the ripe old age of 81. This is The Age Stage on RPPFM. Great to have your company this uh, Thursday morning. And, of course, The Age Stage is made possible by our friends at Australian Unity and Aftercare Australasia. Well, here at The Age Stage, we like reinvention and we like people really beginning to test the envelope of what they can do, how they can do it, and when they can do it. And that's why I'm very interested in introducing our next guest to The Age Stage audience, Frank Spencer who um, in his earlier uh, manifestation uh, worked in management, was an organisational psychologist and did a great deal of work for uh, management. But these days and since his retirement or an active retirement because I think he still does some uh, consultancy work on the side, he's decided in the latter part of his life to become a novelist. And He's written two books, the first of which was A Secret Life but more recently The Silk Road Wars just published. Frank Spencer, good morning. Welcome to the Age Stage. Thank you very much. Um, So, Frank, congratulations firstly on A Secret Life, but uh, The Silk Road Wars is a fascinating subject set in a magnificent uh, Chinese dynasty. Um, What has prompted you to get involved in this novel writing later in your life? Well, I used to... um have two young boys and I had to read them a story to get them to sleep at night and I decided it would be easier not to have to wear my glasses but to make up stories and they liked them very much and in particular I had created a young boy who just grew and grew and grew and I called him Chop Suey, and we created many incredible adventures for him. And finally, my boy suggested I put it down in writing and, and do a series of child novels. However, when I saw it in print, I saw I'd missed the audience because it was too technical, too complex for five-year-olds six-year-old. So anyway, I started to do some research in terms of China, the inventions, what have you, and I came across the fact that China was under attack by, by many nations, and the prime antagonist was Great Britain. And what we had is one great power aggressively out to create an empire and another great power just as aggressively out to defend an empire. And so it became this conflict between the two powers. And I was able to write into it the very many conflicts that occurred. For instance... The Great Wall itself was to defend China from the north, the Mongols and the Manchus. But the entrance via the South China Sea was open. And so they were open to for uh, sea invasion. And that, of course, is where the Great British navies uh, tried to assert themselves as well. Oh, many times. And they, they kept landing and attacking and 
And China, of course, had an advantage in that they had invented gunpowder and their cannons were actually more powerful than the British. But the British could fire faster. <laughs> so it became an ongoing fight between the two of them. And and then when I looked at it, I said, hang on. Um, you know, this the empire created by Alexander the Great, created by the Romans, and being created by the British Empire, were enormous. And there were many, many conflicts that I found. When I researched, I found there are so many battles. So in the book, I described the battle as it actually was. I described the, uh, the weapons used. And I also embedded in it new, the new cast of characters that I'd created, but I made sure that the battles were authentic and the weapons were authentic. And the interesting part was when I traced the issue, I found that China had actually purchased weapons from the American Union at the end of the Civil War. It's an amazing period of history and the Silk Road Wars upset between the 1830s, of course, when Britain was at the height of its powers, yes. and 1914 when that mantle began to slip. And as you say, you've created a very dramatic uh, retelling of that extraordinary epoch in Chinese history. Um, but you yourself, just quickly before we get back onto the books themselves, though, Frank, yep. I mean, you, you had a, a career in, in management. When... And at what age were you when you decided to collect and start writing these uh, highly creative novels? Oh, in my uh, 70s, mid-70s. So your thesis and your philosophy is you're never too old. No, no. Keep going. And uh, I'm still working, and I still enjoy it. And I'm working with many of the leading Australian companies. So in in my career as an organisational psychologist, I did work with something like 80 separate organisations, many of which were leading Australian companies. And I also worked with world leaders in the field. So do you think you're basically resetting the, the notion and the way we should think about older age, retirement and contribution to the workforce? think so because if you stop moving <laughs> you're dead <laughs> so, so I'll keep on moving and, and I en enjoy the writing um, and, and it, it's stimulating and I enjoy still doing uh, my consulting work but I am sure your two boys that were basically the initiative of this whole storytelling in the first place they're probably a little bit older than five now well, unfortunately, one passed away at the age 46, died in his sleep from epilepsy, and the other boy has got three sons, and uh, he's very active in management, and he is actually, as he tells everyone, he's Australia's largest drug dealer. In what sense? He sells pharmaceuticals for symbiont. Well, I'm delighted about that. Um, but I would. <laughs> but he likes. He likes to say that he he is Australia's largest 
drug dealer, and he is. Well, I'm sure he is. It sounds very dramatic. But I'm sure his sons probably enjoy hearing the stories of the legendary giant chop suey as well, do they? They did. But uh, he's gone gone to bed now, and it's now uh, Chai, who is the same character, and the characters from... Uh, the uh, the original uh, moulded into my cast of characters. So two novels to date, A Secret Life, an espionage thriller, yeah. and yeah. now this historical novel set in the Ming Dynasty. Yeah. Um, where to next, Frank, for your writing sojourn? I don't know. I'll just wait and see what dawns on me. But uh, still, in my consulting, I did have a problem, of course. Um, I might have been quite well-known, but there is another Frank Spencer who is even more well-known. He is indeed, and, uh, of course, he was at the centre of some amazing British uh, sitcoms a couple of years ago. Yeah, and and I had a very uh, embarrassing experience in Darwin. I had to make a presentation about an organisation, a merger of three agencies into one big organisation, and I was invited to make a presentation, and... I was ushered into this great big uh, canteen which they'd petitioned to keep the, the kitchen away from the front of it by hanging a great big curtain, heavy curtain, right across. And then they had a small table with an overhead projector with a screen behind it, a, a slightly large table alongside, and there were three enormously high flip chart boards. Anyway, I was told that they were going to take a video, which they'd send around, and the professional said, just talk for a while and relax. So when I was introduced, everyone made the cracks about the other Frank Spencer, and I just smiled and not certainly folded my arms and went to sit on the larger of the two tables. The bloody leg fell off. Oh, my. And I landed on my backside, slid into the first of the flip chart boards, and it, like a domino effect, crashed into the next, into the next, and the last one hooked in the curtain and brought it down. So here I was sitting on the floor in clouds of dust, having assured everyone I wasn't like the other guy. Perfect entree. <laughs> a perfect entree. Um, Frank... Congratulations on the new book, The Silk Thank Roads, you. available where, when and how? It's available through Booktopia. Wonderful. And it's also, I'm going into partnership with Star, which is the Chinese um, international media organisation. They're wanting to jointly produce with me an e-book and uh, print-on-demand in uh, simplified Mandarin. Well, I'm sure they would because it's a very interesting telling of the story and particularly to get the Chinese perspective on that extraordinary century of British uh, naval power and see it uh, more from a Chinese perspective. I'm sure they would be most interested in having that, uh, that perspective. Good. I hope so.
Indeed, and I, it, I just sort of also, of course, uh, there's something a slightly different, a variation on the Silk Road these days, of course, with President Xi and his Belt and Road global policy now of trade. Oh, yes. Well, a lot of things that are current now, that uh, turmoil still there. And the, away. and the two of them, of course, clashing over Hong Kong. So uh, memories of yes. this extraordinary yes. clash between the two dating back, as you say, to the beginning of the Ming dynasty and still to this day, these <laughs> two great powers still uh, rubbing up against each other. It was a weapons war. Who could build the biggest fleet? Who could build the biggest army? Yeah, so it was a weapons race. Still is. Frank Spencer, thank you very much indeed for taking some time to talk to us on Thanks, the H Day today. It was a pleasure. Frank Spencer and his latest historical novel, The Silk Road Wars, is now available in all good bookshops. A break. And when we come back, Cheryl Brody, it's Asthma Awareness Week. The impact and control of this condition is up next on the H Day. Hello, good morning everyone. This is Cheryl Brody. I'm the guest reporter on the Age Stage program and today we're talking about asthma. Um, I'm very fortunate to have with me Anthony Flynn. He's the Senior Manager of Research Policy and Advocacy. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Hi, Cheryl. Thanks for having us. Pleasure, pleasure. How's your morning been? Oh, it's been pretty good, pretty busy, but, but pretty good, and it's nice to see the sun shining out um, the window of the office uh, to, to remind us that spring has arrived. Yes, absolutely. So can you tell me what is asthma? Sure, sure. So um, asthma is a condition affecting the airways, uh, the lungs, and um, essentially it's a condition of inflammation so that a person with asthma has a predisposition um, for inflammation in their lungs, which is caused by um, exposure to um, certain triggers. Uh, so that means that when a person breathes in um, uh, something into their lungs, whether it's a dust mite or, a, um, or cold, dry air or whatever it is for that person, they might experience a little bit of breathlessness, which is caused by the inflammation that happens in the condition of asthma. Uh, so that a person who does have asthma, they'll experience, like I said, that breathlessness, uh, occasionally chest tightness. Uh, they might hear or detect a wheeze um, sound, a high-pitched whistling sound with their breathing, and they, they're likely to have a cough as well. Now, those four signs are the typical and most common signs of asthma. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so majority of our listeners are older retirees, do older people get asthma as well as children? Yes, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important fact to clarify and a misconception to, um, to address that uh, asthma is only a condition that affects younger people or it only comes on in, in younger people. Um, what's unique about asthma against um, other diseases, it's, you know, we, 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 we say or, or it's commonly considered a cradle-to-grave kind of condition, so... Um, that a person might experience asthma for the first time at any stage in their life. Um, uh, commonly, children experience asthma symptoms um, where they're more prominent due to the underdevelopment of their lungs when they're little. Um, and, and some children um, find when they grow into adolescence and adults that they uh, grow out of it. But um, adults uh, who haven't had asthma symptoms previously in their mid-adulthood or even in the older adulthood 
um, age range can experience asthma for the first time, even though they hadn't had it um, previously as children or younger adults. Um, what we what we do like to uh, remind people of is that uh, breathlessness is not a, a normal part of ageing, and um, when a when a, an older person feels breathless, has a a recurrent cough, feels the tightness in the chest, or you know hears a, a high-pitched wheezing sound, um, that they should talk to their doctor about that and um, be open to the fact that that might be asthma and that their symptoms of breathlessness and those other three um, issues of cough, chest tightness and wheezing should not be dismissed as um, as, as, as just signs of ageing, but there indeed could be asthma and there are effective treatments that are available for people at any age group uh, that can um, control symptoms and restore quality of life in somebody with asthma. Oh, okay, excellent. That's really good clarification, I think. And it kind of answers the next question um, in so far as if you've never had asthma in your life, can you assume that you'll never have it in the future? Yeah, no, I mean, so as, as you've mentioned, it, 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 um, it, 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 does, it does indicate that you, you, you may, you know, anyone might have asthma for the first time at any stage of their life. We know that um, it, it's not clear the, the exact causes of asthma and, and we know it does follow certain patterns. So if your parents, brothers and sisters had asthma or had strong um, histories of having allergies, that you're more likely to experience asthma at any stage of your life. Um, but there are also environmental things where um, you may be exposed to certain uh, uh, chemicals, particles or, or elements um, in the environment that um, um, are more likely to uh, result in you experiencing asthma symptoms for the first time. Often those uh, those exposures, we call them, are workplace-related. But, you know, at any stage in your life, you can experience asthma for the first time. Um, more likely if you've got a, fam fam uh, you know, a family-related predisposition, but it also, you know, you, you, it doesn't need to be a family history for you to... Um, to experience asthma for the first time. And, and as I said um, previously, you know, we really encourage uh, people at any age at, at, for any reason uh, that they're experiencing breathlessness to speak to their doctor about it uh, because good treatments are available for them. Excellent. Well, that's, that's quite reassuring as well. Um, how can people avoid getting asthma? That's a million-dollar question, isn't it? And, um, I, I, if, if, you know, perhaps I'm, I'm tempted to, to make a joke and say if I knew the answer, I'd probably trademark it or, or uh, copyright it. But um, we, we know that there are certain... So, so people that have the predisposition to asthma to know, that know that they have asthma in, um, uh, in the first place. They have lungs that are predisposed to the, the wheezing, the coughing, the tightness and so on. Um, uh, uh, probably recognise the, the, the triggers that cause them to have symptoms and the best way that they can avoid um, experiencing asthma is avoiding exposure to those triggers. Now that's often very difficult obviously where the triggers are airborne or environment, you know, they're in the environment within which people live, work and play. Um, so the best uh, thing that people can do to avoid having asthma symptoms is to take the preventer medicine every day as prescribed by their doctor. And that gives them 
the Preventer medicine acts as an anti-inflammatory um, agent. It, it, it suppresses the inflammation that's the cause of the asthma symptoms and it reduces the vulnerability of the responsiveness of the airway to the triggers that, that might be normally causing somebody's symptoms. So we call that secondary prevention or avoiding asthma in a secondary um, instance where asthma is known. In terms of primary prevention, uh, there are a number of, there's a bit of research out there that describe um, uh, risk factors that are more likely to result in a person having asthma for the first time or children um, having asthma or old people, um, older people uh, experiencing new onset asthma. Um, uh, like I said, often exposures in the workplace uh, are those that can lead to having asthma for the, for the first time. I think um, people... Uh, you know, in, in your neck of the woods, might um, might be might you know benefit from being conscious of perhaps the chemicals they might use for cleaning or the um, the, the the chemicals that are around or the dust or the particles are around during uh, spending time in the garden or, or um, out out um, in the environment uh, uh, wherever they they're, they're, they're uh, spending their leisure time. Um, we know that in children. Um, and, and parents of children that uh, there are some things like, uh, for example, improving asthma control or gaining control of asthma during pregnancy is more likely to result in um, parents having children who don't experience respiratory symptoms and, and, and um, new cases of asthma in their young childhood. So, look, I guess the, the bottom line is we are still searching for that um, that, that the golden egg and, and um, that the, the ultimate um, answer to how we can prevent new cases of asthma. But there are some simple things that people can do to avoid experiencing symptoms of asthma and being affected by uh, the condition. Okay, excellent, Anthony. And the, the, um, the other relative question I've got here is, um, should people take their asthma medication on holiday? That's a, that's a great question. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to answer. Yes, I mean, indeed, people uh, who are prescribed regular preventive medication, uh, which is the inhaled anti-inflammatory medicine, to keep that inflammation down and avoid and, and reduce their exposure and vulnerability to their triggers, should, should definitely take it every day as it's prescribed, even when on holiday. So that's, um, that, that means that people who are going away uh, should get prescriptions or and repeat prescriptions that they can uh, fill uh, when they're away or, or to take uh, to take extra medicine with them so that they don't run out. Excellent. Um, often, often people who take what we call you know medication holidays, um, where they you know they they, they they take the finger off the pulse and um, and sort of you know get occupied with the enjoyable stuff on holiday and forget about their asthma medicines are those that get into trouble on the other side uh, when the holiday is over and they get back into real life and start to notice that the symptoms are a bit worse than normal and and find it difficult to get back on track so it's a really good message uh, to get out there that people with asthma should continue taking the medication as prescribed. Fantastic and just quickly um, so asthma um, and spring as we've now just um arrived in spring can be um, a, a, a higher time for asthma or? Correct, yeah. Okay. Look, spring, spring can, co can pose a number of problems with people with asthma. People, not all people with asthma uh, uh, have same, experience the same 
thing that triggers their symptoms, but people who uh, recognise that pollen and springtime and the gardens um, and, the, and, and the particles that are released from the gardens that cause, their, cause hay fever symptoms, itchiness of the eyes and nose and throat, as well as asthma symptoms, I need to, um, need to uh, take particular care during springtime. So they're likely to experience um, increasing asthma symptoms during spring um, because of the, the prevalence and the concentration of pollens in our, in our very beautiful and unique land, uh, which, is, which um, is, has an abundance of, of wind-pollinated plants. Okay. So again, the, the, the mm-hmm. message for, for people who do know that pollen is a trigger for their asthma is to continue taking your preventive medicine. Talk to the doctor. Talk to your doctor before um, we get into the depths of spring in case you're not on a regular preventive medicine. And definitely consider using a preventer if your doctor and, and follow your doctor's prescription. Okay. If that's the case and if you get into trouble, um, uh, go and see your doctor or visit your emergency department if you're having troublesome symptoms that you can't get control of. Sure, fantastic. Thanks again for your time. And that was Anthony from Asthma Australia. And this week is Asthma Awareness Week. Cheryl Brody is speaking there with her guest, Anthony Green, Policy Manager of Asthma Australia. And thanks to Anthony and Cheryl for their contributions. Indeed, thanks to all our guests this week, uh, Suzanne Russell and Craig Green of Australian Unity, author Frank Spencer for his new book, The Silk Road Wars, now available as well. And of course, thanks to Cheryl Brody, our producer. Thank you very much indeed to our very good sponsors, Aftercare Australasia and Australian Unity. And don't forget, of course that uh, Australian Unity is throwing open its doors at its uh, facility in Racecourse Road this weekend. And uh, speaking of other local forums and ideas as well, tonight here, Thursday, if you're down on the Mornington Peninsula, we have a free community forum with the Commissioner for Senior Victorians, Jared Mansour. He's at the new Peninsula Community Theatre at 370 Craigie Road in Mount Martha tonight. If you'd like to get along and uh, have a bit of a chat to Jared, he's taking questions as well. Should be a big evening. I'm looking forward to getting along there myself. That's it for this week's edition of The Age Stage. Thank you very much indeed for your company. I'll be back in seven days' time with more. Until then, stay safe.